0: Hello, Silvertown. Welcome to the Silvertown podcast. Let's jump on that train and ride, right into the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And this afternoon, I'm sitting in my semi. I just had to drive to a remote area and I'm sitting here with Dave Davis, aka Firebird Rising Dave on IAS. Boom. Dave, welcome.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: I am so excited to be sitting here with you, my friend. Same here. We've been talking a little bit. Let's just let everybody know. You and I have been talking. You have a history of radio, podcasting, Mm -hmm. music. Yes. And if any of you can tell, he's got a badass mic, and he's set up for all of this. And he is going to be helping Sobertown out in the future. And this is our introducing you to everybody out there, and you're going to share your recovery story with us. Dave, give us a little bit of backstory. Okay, sure.
1: Born and raised in Iowa. That's where I was born. Radar O'Reilly's town, also the hometown of Tom Arnold. Moved to Cedar Rapids when I was younger, and after I graduated from high school in 83, I moved out to the Chicago area to go to school at DeVry. That's probably when I started drinking was when I moved out here. I'm pretty sure that's when I started drinking was when I moved out here because we could all do it back then. I drank on and off in high school too because Iowa was grandfathered as a state where you could drink when you were 16. So I moved out here to the land of 21 and couldn't buy beer, but I had plenty of roommates around me that could. was known as a goofball. I was a musician, carried my guitars with me all the way out here joined first couple bands, have been in many heavy metal bands. It's the 80s. played guitar for one when I moved out here for a little bit and then switched to keyboards with them. Bought a Hammond B3 organ used and went on the road, or not the road, but around the area in Chicago at the different bars like the Thirsty Whale and Melos and all the popular hangouts back then was in an Ozzy Osbourne basically tribute band. Our singer looked and sounded and sang like Ozzy Osbourne. We did a bunch of 70s and 80s stuff like Deep Purple and Black Sabbath and you name it. We were in that and we did pretty well. It a band around the area and worked in an office supply store at the time, which caused me to drink even more because that was a lot of fun. Let me ask
0: you, Dave. Sure. Because you're playing in a lot of bars and stuff at this time. Oh, yeah. So you have people buying you drinks?
1: Oh, big time, yeah. With me in playing in the band, I wouldn't drink until afterwards because I wanted to be on my game and be able to play and concentrate on that. But there is a, a video of us on, oh, it was the week between Christmas and New Year's. We played a gig with two other bands at a big stage event with a lot of people in Aurora and we got there and we were drinking from nine o'clock in the morning to when we finally played at eight o'clock at night, we were the first band to go on and it was videotaped. And me and the lead singer were so trashed that it's probably one of the funniest, saddest videos you could ever watch of a band playing poor Rick, he was saying things into the microphone, Merry and Christmas and you know, all that kind of stuff. And me, I'm just like acting like a goofball on stage and I was hanging off of people and falling all over the place. And Yeah, it's pretty funny. Judy. I should show it to you sometime. There's definitely not too many copies of it out there. Let's put it that way. But it has been digitized. And yeah, that was a, a night that I don't remember. I think I had an entire case of beer by myself. And I had nothing to eat all day because I was broke. But we were all sharing in the beer. And then finally, somebody went out mcdonald got McDonald's, got me a Big Mac. And I remember that. But then the rest of the night, I don't remember very well until I saw the video.
0: And then you were like, oh, my gosh.
1: Oh, yeah. Big time. I had a love-hate relationship with alcohol over the years. During my first marriage, didn't drink a whole heck of a lot, smoked a lot of weed. But I was found that I was allergic to THC. So, I was a cheap date. One hit on the bong and I was gone for nine, 10 hours. That was it for me. So that was also a love-hate relationship because I come from a family of uh, people who we tend to have a little bit of an addictive personality to different things. Some are smokers, some are drinkers, not a lot, but we were all addicted to food growing up. If You you can tell by looking at me, but I've lost a lot of weight since I've been sober. Yeah. How much weight have you lost? I went from 354 down to 313 this last week. Oh, yeah. That's been in almost seven months, I think. I had lost a ton of weight before, back in the 90s, right around the time I got divorced. I was on Richard Simmons' deal a meal.
0: I I (laughs) I remember
1: him. I remember him really well. I went out to dinner with him and his partner. (laughs) I was 380 pounds at that time, and I went down to 180 pounds on his wow. diet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they wrote me up. Uh, I'll set, send you an article. That, That's that 200
0: pounds, Dave. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was skinny. I went down a little too far, changed to a vegetarian and all that stuff, going back up to 220 and stayed there for a long time. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a trip going out to dinner with him. It really was. <laughs> he was did, a lot of fun.
0: Did you guys do any yoga after dinner?
1: <laughs> no. And what's funny was he ate a big old cheeseburger and had a beer. It was really funny to see that, but that was his. Those are his downfalls. By the way, his partner was a big guy. He was a, a six foot seven, weighed seven hundred and fifty pounds at one time. Wow! And he's in their videos. You'll see him in the sweat in the oldies two and three. He's in there. He lost down to three twenty five. So that's where he was sitting when I met him. And they weren't together for very long. But he was a super nice guy. He's the guy that interviewed me. But yeah, so we had, it, it was a good time. <laughs> and then when I had got my divorce, I had three things happen that triggered me back to drinking again. And it was one, my dad was passing from pancreatic cancer. Two, I was going through my divorce. And three, on the way to work one day, I got run over by a dump truck. Or the front end of my Saturn SC2, I had the dump truck drive up and over the top of my car and basically smash me down into the ground. He missed my windshield and me by that much. And I got out and I had put smoking in 91 and, and I looked straight at him. This is 95. And I said, dude, could I have one of your cigarettes? <laughs> Lit up, drove the thing actually, which was weird. It could drive. Horn was going out pulled pull a huge box, drove it to the dealership and had that car it was supposed to be totaled and they didn't total it. But we got back to my place and walked across the street to the liquor store and bought five bottles of wine and came back. And I hadn't been drinking in a long time, so I drank like a bottle and I was, you know, passed out. Went through a binge with that for a while. I was working as an independent consultant at the time. I had been in IT since I left the office supply world back in 87. Started out as a computer operator, which is basically the guy that runs around and puts the paper in the printers and that kind of stuff. I had a lot of fun doing that job. And oh my god, the drinking that I did back then. Oh, oh, oh. that was epic. <laughs> my boss liked to go out to lunch every day. And he liked to go out to laundry fashion shows, which was you you buy a ticket and they draw a ticket to give you the laundry that the girls are walking around in. So that was his thing. And he liked to drink heavily, he drink like four long island iced teas at lunchtime. And then we'd head back and we'd go. And mind you, I'm drinking like three or four beers at lunch with him. And he's buying. Going back to this place in the merchandise mart on the way called Doolittle's, which is where all the Channel 5 news people hung out and drank and got really wasted before the afternoon newscasts. So I got to know a lot of them. And we used to sit there and drink. He'd have another two Long Island's and we'd go back to work, pack up our things and leave. And we did that every day for almost a year. It got really bad the day harold washington died do you remember who harold washington was no he was the first black mayor in chicago he died the day before thanksgiving and they were rushing him across the bridge we were walking over this place called monk's pub and they were rushing him across to the hospital he had a heart attack and he was in the ambulance on his way to the hospital and he died on the way to the hospital dan is a huge political guy so he knew all those people really well and Got over to Monk's Pub and we sat there from 1130 until 430 in the afternoon and drank 12 pitchers of beer between the three of us. And we had heard that he had died on the ambulance on the way. We saw the ambulance with all the cop cars. And so it turned into this big, huge, have a drink for the mayor type of thing. So 12 pitchers of beer between the three of us. I do not remember getting home. Yeah, and I took the train from the city out to Naperville. My ex at the time, before she was my ex, my wife at the time, she picked me up. The conductor, who I'd known on the train from working or her, from riding the train all these years, poured me off the train into my car with a note on me saying, take Dave home. The next thing I know, I'm waking up on the couch downstairs in the living room and the news is on and it's about four hours later and I'm like, what happened? What happened? What happened? And she told me, and I was like, oh my God, what an embarrassing thing. So those are the kind of embarrassing things that I had done in my past. And then I, the next day, went to the Thanksgiving celebration at her aunt's house and didn't feel really well and I couldn't figure out why. I had let my immune system go down so far that I opened myself up to chickenpox. So the next day, I broke out in bumps. I had caught chickenpox from her half-sister the week before at the family dinner. And I was not feeling well. So I was contagious as all hell at the Thanksgiving event with about 100 people. <laughs> so I know a few people broke out after that. But yeah, so I went through hell a chicken pox for a month. They actually put me on short term disability because of it. So I got myself dry at that time. And I didn't drink again until, like I said, when we got divorced and my dad died and got run over by the dump truck. That's when I started drinking again. And then got back up to a two bottle, two, two sometimes three bottle a day. Wine addiction. Didn't like beer anymore. I liked wine. It was much better. Could have cheese with it. Cheese and crackers and sweets. And I finally got to the point again because I was, now I wasn't working for that company anymore. I was actually an independent because I had worked as a consultant with a consulting company during those years and then let that all go and became my own independent when we went public because it gave me enough money to get set up to do that. So all this happened around that same time. So from 96 all the way up until 2011, I was an independent consultant. During that time, I was on my own, took care of myself. Just got to the point where right around 2000, I decided to give it up. Decided to give up drinking because I was just like, this just isn't doing anything for me anymore. Quit like that overnight. Didn't really see myself as having any kind of alcohol use disorder, that kind of thing, because we never do. And moved on from it, and probably want to say 2008, 2009, I met my wife, Mary, on Match. We met on Match.com in 2005 and hit it off really well. We were The percentage was really high as far as our things go. Neither of us drank. We both smoked, smoking cigarettes again. And, and we both smoked the same brand, that kind of thing. We both chopped our burger the same way when we got on the first date. So it was really fine. Anyway, so we were just those meant to be stories. And then we got married in 2006, uh, a year later, had a really nice wedding. We didn't allow alcohol at our wedding because we didn't want the kids to be around it. And the alcohol license would have been really expensive for where we were doing our wedding. So we said, no, we don't want that. And I always tried to keep it a thing to be uh, kind of an example of don't get involved in the drinking, the drugs, the, that kind of stuff. So I always kept that at the forefront. And when we moved to uh, Winfield in 2008, and I was like, hey, let's, we're okay. The boys are in their teens, late teens, and let's ha- get some wine. So we started drinking at that time and she'd never really been a drinker. She was oh, okay, let's drink. But we never, we'd, we'd split a bottle and have cheese and we were losing weight because we were trying to lose some weight. And it, it just stacks on top of it over the years, a little bit more, a little bit more turns into a bottle of wine a night, it turns into a bottle and a half wine a night, it turns into two bottles of wine a night. And that's where I was. You know, $12 a bottle of 15 bucks a bottle of wine is expensive. Let's switch to the cheap crap that's in the box. You get four bottles out of a box for 16, 17 bucks. So that was my choice of my poison for the longest time was drinking black box Pinot Noir. That was the, or, or Cab or whatever they had, the shit wines. And you, you talk to yourself in the saying, Boy, these things taste great. <laughs> no, they don't. They taste like shit. So, yeah, I, I just blinded myself to a lot. It was like I was shutting out a lot of stuff at work. I lost my consulting gig back in twenty or 2010. I'd been there 12 years. I'd been working for this company. and They just treated me like crap in the end. And then I went from that to we. I was out of work for a long time. And so I'd sell everything. I, did. I had collectible stuff. I was a pipe smoker. I smoked and helped sell pipes at a cigar store for a long time on, on the side just for fun. So I was really into the whole having a pipe and smoking the tobacco and we're doing the rings and stuff, just like my grandpa, because <laughs> that's what he did. So I collected pipes for a long time and had to sell all those. I kept a few of them that meant a few things to me, but I sold the rest of them on eBay. And that's how we lived for four months. And Mary went back to work. She's a phlebotomist, so she was able to get a job right away at the hospital. But then I had a couple guys that said, "Hey, we heard you were out of work. You know, but that I used to work with at the consulting company years ago. Hey, you want to come work for us for uh, Treehouse Foods? Come on up. Let's go. We're up in we're you're in the Outbreak area, but we're also doing this thing up in Green Bay. So I had to go up to Green Bay during the time that the Bears and the Packers went at it, and the Packers went into the Super Bowl back in 2011. So I was stuck up in Green Bay during that time. It was a lot of fun. When we had a good three feet of snow down here, our heaviest snowfall that we'd had since the 70s, I was stuck up in Green Bay where we only got like six inches. So I couldn't come back home. I had to stay up there because it was hard to travel the highways down here. It was a six-hour ordeal around the Chicago area to go anywhere. Yeah, it was nuts, but the... During that time, I was, a, I was I was drinking pretty decently, but also started having problems where I'd get up in the morning, i eat some breakfast, and then I'd be driving, I'd feel like I'm going to fall asleep. And I was, God, what's going on with me? What's going on with me? I had an episode one night where I was sleeping in bed, and I got up, and I stopped breathing. And I collapsed into a closet door. We had knocked the big-ass closet door off. And almost passed out and I got my breathing going again. So I went in to see a sleep doctor, found out I had sleep apnea. So I had to get a CPAP and all that stuff. Boy, what a, I'll tell you if you have any issues sleeping at all with breathing, snoring and that stuff, go get it checked out, go get it. Cause my oxygen levels were at 68%, which is unreal. My breathing not breathing episodes are 96 times. I stopped breathing in an hour. Uh, that that's that's high wow yeah, yeah that is the drinking have anything to do with that i don't know she didn't she said it didn't really would affect that it was more my weight at the time because i was back up into my 300s again and we had just quit smoking like a couple of years before that and i haven't been smoking since 2008 so i that i left a long time ago don't miss that at all yeah, it was just, it was one of those things. It was like a big, huge, unfortunate event type of thing that happened. Worked with these guys for about eight months and they let me go because they didn't have the contract for me anymore because I was subcontracting through them. But I immediately found the next gig. And that next gig, I was a consultant for six months. They hired me as an employee in 2012, and I've been there ever since. I had a great run with them so far.
0: Congratulations. That's a long time.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a very long time for me, as far, especially as an employee, it's a long time. Worked my way up. I'm a database programmer. They brought me in as what they call an ETL guy. ETL stands for extract, transact, and load. <laughs> Basically, take like a spreadsheet, copy it into a table, turned into more of a data science guy over time. So data science is my thing, reporting, that kind of thing, what they call BI, business intelligence. And then got into doing the data science stuff. Now I'm going to be a data architect because they let go of my boss and I'm getting pulled into another team, which is really cool. I always wanted to be a data architect. I'm really good at designing databases. But during this time, all of a sudden COVID happened and my drinking ramped up and it was just a not feeling good about myself, not feeling good about the world, scared because during this time also, diagnosed as a type two diabetic back in 2012, on uh, december 7th and so because of that I had all it was like a perfect storm my health was just taking a toll big time and that's where we get to come into the recovery part of the story but before i get into that there's other things in the past that i was like i said it was in many bands I found myself in karaoke one night with an old roommate of mine and his wife They pushed me into singing, didn't really have, I didn't really think I had much of a voice, even though I sang songs in high school bands and stuff. I didn't really, in the band I was in back in the 80s, I didn't sing at all. We were backup vocals, but that was about it. And then got into karaoke quite heavily with these guys. And she dragged out of me what I sounded like. And the one thing that she's always, she was always pushing me on was, you sound like Meatloaf. You sound just like Meatloaf. You need to sing Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. You need to sing... Heaven can wait. Did, so did. did you
0: sing Paris by the National? Oh Blues? yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I was really do you have that on a recording? No, I do not. No, that one I did not record, but it, it it was the one song that she and I and her husband were doing uh karaoke contests, and another buddy of mine that's a DJ. And we go around the area and we were singing different contests, and that one I actually won semifinals with doing that song with her on stage. because She did the female part and her husband did the announcer voice.
0: Oh, how cool
1: that is. Cool. Yeah, he was really good. He sounded just like the guy too. It was hysterical. Um, he didn't have a good singing voice, but boy, he had a good announcer voice. Yes, yeah, so we did that for a while. Um, and just and so that-
0: everybody knows, I mm-hmm. have heard you sing Rush, right? Yeah. And Queen. And you sounded just like him.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a, I have a tendency to have an imitator voice. I have my own voice too, but I, I love to do some of the songs where I can imitate that person. The other one is Jeff Tate from Queensryche. I like to sing Silent Lucidity and Jet City Woman and stuff like that. I can imitate
0: Do you them. have Silent Lucidity You recorded? No, I do not. You're going to have to give me one of these songs that you have recorded so we can have a link to mm. show everybody. Mm.
1: But you do have... The, um, the, somebody the love, I have out on YouTube and uh, Crystal Ball from Styx. I have that out there. Um, so I'll send you those if you want.
0: Yeah, we'll drop a couple links of you yeah. and your singing because I think you're pretty badass. Thanks.
1: From that, I transferred into becoming part of an act that had been around since the 80s called The Bruise Brothers. The lady that I knew really well. She hold was, it. Hold it.
0: Say that again The Bruise.
1: Bruise Brothers. Yeah, it was a B. blues brothers act called the bruise meaning b-r-u-i-s-e she named it that because she was the dancer there are two dancers in the back and two cops and the two dancer ladies she was the choreographer and she's the one who ran the business the other guy the manager was the guy that did our sound and stuff um they called it bruise because she kept getting bruised up when she'd fall over from kicking her legs up too high she'd bruise her head she'd bruise her legs she'd bruise her arms so they called it the bruise brothers she was friends with the Belushi family. So she did one of John's birthday parties and she was, she had, a, it's like a singing telegram company. And so she showed up with her guys and they did a 30 minute dance act thing for his birthday party it was a couple of years before he died. And he loved it. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to be doing this shit forever. So you guys need to, you need to keep doing this and keep the stuff going. She's yeah, but we're going to get sued by Uh, Dan or somebody over this. And he said, no, he goes, mom, let's do something with the Belushi Foundation, sign a letter and say, here, you guys have the right to do this. So then John died a couple of years later and she continued on doing this stuff. And sure enough, Dan tried to come around and put a stop to it, but he couldn't. In fact, when I was in it, he'd also sent letters of cease and desist and you need to stop this. We didn't make much money from it, (laughs) believe but it was fun we had a good time doing it we were a high impact high energy aerobics dance act that didn't sing but did the the lip syncing and we lived in character the whole time we were doing it for the night and whatever event we were at or whatever we were doing we hung around afterwards and took pictures with everybody and signed autographs and that kind of fun stuff and it was just a blast i did it from 96 to 99 Got to meet some of the Bulls because she was doing the Bulls games back before us, back in the 80s. And then the 90s, when the Bulls were doing really well with Michael, they did all the halftime shows down on the court. Never got to meet him, but, you know, came close one time. The original guys that were part, of, she we were her last set of guys that were a fourth set. The first set of guys were gone very quickly. The second set of guys, she had all the way through the 90s for a while. And then... They tried to steal the act out from underneath her. They couldn't do it, but they left and they went on their own, worked with Budweiser and their Jake looked, he was hysterical. He did look just like him he's a super nice guy. And then the third set of guys, they did it with her for a couple of years and their Jake was really short and he looked a lot like him. He did a lot of flips and stuff. Now that I did not do, but our Elwood did a lot of flips and backflips and stuff. He was a gymnastics guy So it was me and George at the end, we were, we did it for for the last four years and we did a lot of festivals and stuff, which was a lot of fun. Got to know, got to know all the mafia guys (laughs) in the Melrose Park and Stone Park and places like that. Um, So yeah, we had some interesting times back then. Um, During that time, I didn't drink. I I drank, but not, I would never do it when we were performing. Um, But I did smoke back then. And man, I had a cigarette hanging on my mouth when I was doing some of this stuff. And just to be in character, but then I realized, oh my God, I'm killing myself out here. So 99 was my last one. It was after the Feast of Melrose, we did a private show for somebody at a country club. And I went and met some people who I was friends with that I worked with. And they actually at that country club and they were there with me in my last show. And I almost had a heart attack, had heart palpitations. I collapsed afterwards. And I said, that's it. I'm done smoking. (laughs) I quit that for a long time and then came back to it again right around the time that I met my wife, my second wife. and, And we were both smokers. And then we quit in 2008 after we had a friend pass away. I just was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. That guy died. and He was a really good close friend of mine. Ate breakfast with him every morning. I said, I need to give this up. I don't want to be in that same boat. 2008, done. Did the patch. Both of us got off and we haven't looked back since as far as that goes me I think it's the hardest one it's harder than even alcohol and alcohol I was having a hard time with just because it was a comfort it was a a blanket that I was wearing just to comfort me but once I got rid of that comfort that comfortableness earlier this year and I was able to get rid of it, it but it had to be it had to come to that point it was like smoking it had to come to that point where you just say no more I'm done and let's get over with it and go through the withdrawals. Let's do all the things that we need to do for cravings, get rid of them, that kind of shit. Yeah, it was a mess for me since COVID hit. But once I got to that point this last year, about a year ago, I was just like, I'd been trying since 2021 to get off of it. And let's try to make it more forceful let's get through the holidays and stuff use those excuses let's get through the holidays Yeah, i have a couple more and that kind of shit
0: so when did you first get into the i am sober community
1: i am sober community was in june of 2021 and you know quit for a week here and then be back reset how did you find out about i am sober i am sober oh had to be back around 2012 2013 a friend of mine on Facebook who had a huge following, big wrestling fan guy, was in a small time wrestling community in uh, Pennsylvania. His family had a wine company, in fact. He decided to get clean, and that was the app he used. And that was the first time I'd ever seen it because he would share the days and he would share the the quotes at the time because there weren't that many back then. And he would share them out on the on the Facebook area. And I was like, that's interesting. He got sober. And he still is to this day. And he's still a member of IS. I don't know what his member name is. He won't give it to me. But I've kept in touch with him since I started going through it. But yeah, he was the one who turned me on to it originally. Just symbiotic on the side. I didn't really know him too well, except from Facebook. And we were into a bunch of different bands and stuff together. So he was always same music likes as me. But yeah, so when I got ready, I was like, what kind of tool do I want to own? I didn't want to go into the whole a thing there was just something about it just never set right with me
0: were Uh, you trying to stop on your own
1: yeah i was trying to stop on my own yeah
0: but did you have times where you just wanted to quit but you kept finding yourself drinking and that's why you decided to
1: use the app exactly that's exactly right and because of that uh i felt like i had a little bit more of a community to lean into which is what it turns into. It's huge for people that are out there and they're just looking and they just got into it or they're just starting out. Lean into that. It's incredible. This community is incredible. And it's expanded out over this last 237 days that I'm at. And with those 237 days, it's gotten better every day just for having the connection. I love the connection within this community and the fact that, it, it, everybody likes to help each other. Everybody's nice to each other to a certain degree. Everybody has their own bag of shit to deal with. And we're just there for each other. We, we sit and we listen and we try to help. We get tools. You guys were the coolest site that I came across when I was first got into doing it more. When I first, when I set that final date for myself of March 20th of this year and I started researching sites to go to. So I saw somebody post on IAS that there's this place called Sobertown Podcast. So I started looking up the different podcasts and stuff and I started listening to the Sobertown Podcast over any of the other ones. I was like, wow, this is some good shit. These are great recovery stories. These are helping me. And these are our people. (laughs) Right, exactly. And I got into it and I was like, okay, uh, let's go out and look at the websites. Oh my God, the tools that are out here are just incredible. Oh my God, look at all the quitlet stuff. Shit, I'm buying books on Amazon. There's my other addiction. Let's back up a little bit because
0: I Am Sober just didn't happen with you the first time. Let's back up to where where you first started using the app.
1: Oh yeah. Because you reset a lot, right? Oh yeah, I reset a lot. It was like, like I said, it would be a week, I'd reset Another couple of days, reset. Another couple of days, reset. I must have reset over 5,000 times from 2021 to 2023. Just the longest I ever got was 23 or 24. I think it was 24 days. It's so almost a month. And that was the longest clean period that I had. And then I just had the excuse this thing pissed me off. This thing with work hurt. This is all this stuff happened. And I would just find an excuse to drink. And that was my thing. Then I go back and I hit the shame you feel when you hit the reset button. And then I'm like, why am I feeling shame about this? I had all this stuff built up over time where I'd have a week here and a week here. I'm trying to get sober. I'm trying to get myself to go to this point. And people are like, go to a meeting, go to a meeting. No, I don't go to a meeting, I'm sorry. I don't, even if it's a Zoom online, I didn't want to do that. This is something I had to deal with by myself and finally got past the shame of it all and was like, okay, I can't get to that. And then I backed away from the app for about six months, but I keep going back to it and resetting myself just to say, okay, let's try this again. So nobody knew me very well. I had a couple of people that I was tied to on the app as far as connections, but they had moved on. They were way further on down the road than I was. So yeah, sorry, I'm saying I'm one. Yeah, I had this period. Well, I, of, I love
0: the like, evolution of this because we have a lot of people that that are going to it that oh, reset,
1: yeah. right? Yeah. And, and don't feel shame. Don't. You're making it. You're doing the thing. You're quitting. Even if it's for two, three, four, five days and you had to reset. T- great. Keep going. Keep doing it. Someday it's going to stick. Someday it's going to be. I know today is the day that I'm not going to drink anymore. I will not drink. It's the whole one day at a time thing. But There's also this switch that happens. And with that switch, you get this, it's almost like a dopamine hit at the time when you hit the switch and you're just like, I'm not going down that road anymore. This is it. I'm done. I'm finished. I don't, it was like when I was quitting smoking, we did so many things up to the end of that. Like we went for the laser treatment. Boy, I tell you, you want to sleep for 18 hours? (laughs) Holy shit. That thing was, anyway, that, that was great. We tried that. That didn't work we tried everything else. And then I was like, what's going to help me get off of it for good? I need to get over the nicotine part of it first. That's the hardest part, the three days. I quit cold turkey in the past before, so I know what those three days of hell are like. But I was having a harder time this time. I was up two and a half packs a day. How do you come down from two and a half packs a day? You do the patch and stuff. But those patches leave rashes on your arm and shit. And I don't like the gum. And we found the generic ones from Walgreens that are like band-aids that you put on they don't have hardly any of the stuff that goes with them as far as the, the adhesive on it and they're a natural skin color patch they have them in every color so you put those on and they are nice and flowy and easy so if anybody's looking to quit smoking and they want to use a patch get the generic ones from walgreens or cvs or whatever the small pharmacy companies are down in your area get them from there because They're half the price of the brand name's things. And they work. They work really well. And just take yourself down over the time. The rest of it's all psychological with smoking. And plus the chemical addiction that comes from the chemicals that are inside the cigarette. That's the worst part. That takes about 30 days to get out of your system. So
0: I have made deliveries into the places where they make cigarette butts, okay? The chemicals they put in the cigarette butts alone... The people on these plants are like, hell no, I'm not smoking one of those with the butt, right? Yeah. So let's get back
1: to the
0: the I am sober and let's get to, you really weren't working a program in the beginning. No,
1: I wasn't. No, I wasn't. And uh, when I did finally hit that switch in March of this year, I turned to you guys, I was on your website quite a bit. And then I found that you were doing these Zooms for Rewired. And I was like, well, what's Rewired all about With, by Erica Siegelman? So I actually downloaded the audiobook on Audible because I'm a huge Audible listener. Uh, and started listening to it. And I said, oh, this is great. Well, for me, when something, I really want something to stick that's got a lot of information in it. I not only have to have the Audible book, but I have to have the Kindle book. <laughs> so that I can read along and listen to it at the same time. Because those two things nail it home every time. So, me
0: too. I have the Audible rewired and then I have the book where I can take notes yeah exactly underline shit I gotta have both of them
1: yeah oh and I not only had the kindle version where I was underlining stuff but then I bought the physical copy of it and started tagging shit in the book. it was so good so yeah that really hit home that I don't know what it was man it was just like I'm home this is my recovery this is my home I didn't need the and I'm not slamming AA. It's good for a lot of people. It just wasn't for me. But Erica's book, oh, my God, it just spoke volumes to me on all sorts of levels.
0: She tells you that you can become the architect of your own recovery, right? And right. Have, had you ever been told that before?
1: No, I was told that I he didn't give it all up to, to somebody. <laughs> and that I, you yeah, know, it was it just didn't s- sit right with me. But for me to become the architect, that was right up right up my alley. I love that. Um, yeah,
0: because you're a creator too. Yeah, exactly,
1: and that's why it's sung to me. It, that was a if, if there's a book, if there's something that happens with a book in me that I connect with it, it's it's singing to me. So it's almost like a musical gift. Type
0: and of these thing. principles that are in the book are really cool, and you can use Rewired with. AA, if you would like, or smart mm-hmm. recovery. you can work it in conjunction with, but because these her principles are honesty, boundaries, self-care, right? Hope, All of these amazing tools that she's put together, wearing masks, I didn't even know about what wearing masks were. We're not doing like oh, a man. promo. For an ad for Erica, but we're just letting you know how right. this book is life
1: changing. Really? Yeah, it is. And then the, you guys were doing the Zoom calls as well, so I jumped on those and met a whole bunch of people that I'm now closer to than I ever thought I would be. I met Fluffy at that time. Jacques and Marlene and I are always together since March, but Jacques and I really connected when I got to when I got on the Rewired Zoom.
0: Yeah, and those wow. rewired Zooms, if anybody's interested, are still Mondays at 8.30 p.m. and Fridays at 3.30 p.m. all Eastern time. And they're on the website, too, SilvertownPodcast.com. You can find all of our Zooms there.
1: Yeah, and they're, the two people that are running them are great. I've been to both of them and love the way they moderate and follow Erica's you know, guidelines and stuff. And I know you guys just updated the guidelines. With some of her new stuff. I need to get to one because I haven't been in a while because it's, they're usually during my work hours. So it's hard for me to, to do that kind of stuff. So, but I, I, when I need one, I go.
0: So you <laughs> yeah. were talking about that, that click when it clicks,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that happened once you started investing yourself, right?
1: Exactly. And it was just like an epiphany moment. Uh, now I know why I need to do what I need to do. My wife went, she went sober with me at the same time. And, but it was tough for her. It wasn't her time yet. And, but she's cut back a lot. on not not drinking as much or not having as, not having the moments that we used to have almost every night where we would just be drinking the pass out type of thing. But the, so she's done really well with backing off, but she also wants to get to the point where she quits too because she knows it's a problem for her. But I told her she has to come to it in her own time. I can be there to help. I can be there to support. I can get her involved in all the other tools and stuff too. Um, but the, her whole thing is just like, hey, hey, try, you need, if you want to try Rewired, here's this. If you want to try something else, try this.
0: Here's the cool thing, Dave. You're the lighthouse in your home. And mm-hmm. I, I really believe that when people see the changes that's made it They want what we have, especially on those mornings. They wake up and they're like, oh,
1: shit, I fucking my head hurts. (laughs) Oh, I don't miss those. (laughs) But
0: people that are still drinking, they still have those moments. And it's during those times or maybe there's something that happened. They acted in a way they didn't want to act drinking and where they're like, I just don't want this in my life anymore. And then they remember you and seeing where you're at. And you're a a lighthouse to those around you try to be yes <laughs> i think it just happens man you, no it it's, does yeah, yeah. It, i like that that one quote where it talks about lighthouses don't run around the island trying to save boats lighthouses just stand there and shine their light
1: exactly exactly that's perfect and we just need to learn to not let dirty feet walk through our mind That's another
0: favorite. (laughs) But we do have those entrenched neural pathways that want to resurrect themselves all the time, but we're able to build super uh, sober highways that replace those old beat up highways that we used to tread, right? Exactly. So what's different now with life for you?
1: I noticed right away that I was starting to get back my creativity. But when I got overexcited, I would do just pushed myself to do stuff, and it was like, oh, let's do this, let's do this. But it wasn't timed yet.
0: No. I, I do want to mention this to everybody, because you're a creator, mm. music and everything else, and you really lost your desire, desire to create for what, like three years?
1: Yeah, I mean, three four years, actually. But yeah, I just, the depression was huge. And we had other things going on in the background, too, but it... Just wasn't a good environment, or wasn't conducive to being creative. And we lived in an apartment and that we called the depression hole in Aurora for a long time. And then we moved out here to the cow, got a house and everything. And it's just been different since we moved out here. We got away from that energy,
0: Dave, a lot of people, including myself, in addiction, the only thing that matters anymore is our next drink, how we're going to drink it, when are we going to drink it? And it, yep. it consumed all my time to yep. where I I didn't want to do other things.
1: Yep. That was part of it too. <laughs> it was the depression that and planning for the next drink, man. Hey, when am I off? Am I off at three o'clock today? Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Let's say, Hey honey, you want to grab a box for me on the way home? It that kind of stuff.
0: And it takes a lot of effort to plan our drinking.
1: Yeah. And it does. It seriously does. Yeah, it really to- It took a total. I-, I got out of the band back in 2014 uh, that I was in for almost 14 years. And we had done a lot of stuff together over those years. Two female singers. And then I was constantly switching between playing guitar, playing keyboards, playing bass for a long time, singing backups, singing a few songs here and there. Everyone's a great while. But everything was based around that as well. I would be like, "When am I going to be able to drink? When am I going to be able to get up? I don't want to be drunk up on stage anymore, but when are we getting home so I can drink? <laughs> that kind of thing.
0: So let's look at it now. You're not drinking. How much time do you have to get things done?
1: A lot. Not just the time in the morning where you're not hungover anymore. That's a big thing. It. I'll tell you, a lot of people out there... One thing you might have that happens to you after you go sober is post-acute withdrawal syndromes, What's it's called pause. And I had one part of pause that was huge, which was not being able to regulate my sleep. And it was something, the alcohol destroyed my sleep patterns. To the point where one night I would get maybe four, three, four hours. The next night i get six. Or the next night i get one and a half. It was just all over the place. I was trying different sleep medications, sleep stuff, vitamins, melatonin, all that kind of crap. Teas, you name it, I was trying it. But it just took about six months for it to work its system back into my circadian rhythm being correct again. And now I'm fine. Now I'm between six and eight hours of sleep a night. I don't. I have few issues falling asleep every once in a while, but at least once I'm asleep that was huge once that took over now i could start my personal development stuff in the morning i used to do for a while i was doing the miracle morning which is a great tool to use where you do meditation silence it's called the savers silence meditation affirmations visualization exercise reading and scribing which is journaling and i used to do that every morning i love doing that it was a great part of my life i'm back to doing that again and i absolutely love it that takes about anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour of my time. And then I'm ready for the day. I'm up, make coffee, getting all that stuff together for the day, getting my tasks laid out of things I want to do. And now I'm creating again, which I had been doing for the last 10 years. I was doing radio shows online. I had... Five of them running at one time back in twenty twelve, twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen. I had five at the You're a friggin' oh. overachiever, man. <laughs> I know. It was, but I liked it, it was the things. I had different themes for everything. But my main show that I started out with was called Independent Share. And it was I had known so many independent musicians through the online communities since 2006. I'd gotten in touch with a lot of them. And everybody I knew, different genres, everything, just some of these people are just phenomenal. They're great. And they, they just don't get heard. Nobody hears them. They, they have a hard time with some of their marketing. So I was like sharing them on Facebook. Hey, check this out. Check these guys out. Check these guys out. And they get hits here and there. People will be like, hey, you should do like a show on YouTube or something while well, YouTube wouldn't allow that back then. Because they they tag everything that had a copyright on it. Boom, you're done. That was it. Now they don't care. They actually put the money towards them from the advertisers. But I found a place that I had friends doing some of these indie shows online through places like Spreaker, which was a weird place that does podcasting. I was like, I can do that. So I started back in 2013. I put together my first couple of shows, did all genre, anywhere from country to folk to metal, to whatever you want to call it. I was playing everybody, but it had to be quality, it had to be good, and it had to be a good quality recording as well. Then um, I talk on that show, play it like a radio show. Built up popularity over the first three years. I did some interviews and stuff and it just shot up. It was like everybody hung out because it was a quality show. It wasn't just playing any craps that was getting submitted to it, that kind of thing. And I had a lot of these people who were good friends as well through online communities over the years. So it was like I was always grateful to be able to play some of my good friends. And just had a ball with it and loved it. And that died. That died so bad when I got into drinking so heavy because I didn't have time to plan. I was slurring my words at the end of broadcast because I was drinking heavily. And you can hear some of those in my early broadcasts. I'd all of a sudden, you hear me, hi, hey, everybody, it's, it's good to see you, that kind of thing. But It was affecting me on that as well. And my other shows, I don't talk on. They're just playlist shows, but I run them live. And we chat and chat. That's Dave's Space Place on Friday nights. Dave's Space Place on Sunday mornings. And those are that's an ambient show. And the other one's a chill out show. And then I had Musical Relaxation Station on Saturday mornings, which is all new age piano stuff, which is stuff that I create. And we'll play my stuff on that show. So it was just fun. These are things, but they just suffered hugely when I got the drinking really heavy. And I killed it. I just, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do the shows anymore. I just can't focus.
0: Yeah. Alcohol steals all that from us. Yeah. In sure my does. opinion. So being that you're such a creator and now you have a new passion with sobriety, right? Yes. We're going to get you creating with us. Cool. And and that's what's really cool. What we're all doing, we're all getting sober. We're learning like I never podcasted before. I've never worked on websites. There's so many things that I haven't done that now that I'm sober, I get to do. And then we're bringing people with us. We got everybody that's Zooming, all the different things going on in Sober Town. So now, Dave, since you have all of this experience, you get to help us give people tools to get sober. And I'm excited to bring you along.
1: Yeah, I'm excited too. I really am. And it was nice to bring my shows back. I finally got the creativity and the the time to set up my shows.
0: And that just happened recently, right? Yeah,
1: it just happened recently. And I brought them all back and I was like, oh, crap. Then they let go of my boss. Now, see, if I would have still been drinking, let go of my boss would have killed me. That would have been it. I would have been drinking three boxes, that kind of thing. Not
0: anymore. It's so great having you here in our sober community and you're thriving.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here. It really is. And And you're you're, inviting me along to the Telegram channel too, because I'll tell you, man, it's been a lot of fun out there.
0: Yeah, and we have groups on Telegram. And there's so many different groups. The women have a Mm -hmm. lot of Telegram groups. There's readings that are done every day. There's a lot of people investing their time into giving back to others in so many different areas. So if you're just out there getting sober, man, get plugged into. The I Am Sober app, get plugged into Sobertown podcast and boom, rethink the drink and getting sober dot, dot, dot. Again, there's so many cool, so much information out there too. the neuroscience and addiction, man.
1: Oh, yeah. Anywhere from Annie Grace's book, The Snake in Mind was like the first thing I read on alcohol about four years ago.
0: Yeah. And Craig Beck, he, he parallels Annie Grace. Alcohol Lied to Me.
1: It's just, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's another big book. Yeah, I yeah. agree. That's a classic. That one, out of all the books that are out there, uh, those are the the top ones. Uh, the Alcohol Lied to Me, The the Evil Clown. <laughs> that's another good one. Martha Beck's books, I love, or sorry, Meredith Beck's books. They're only available on Kindle, but they're really good. People would just like wanting to start out and trying to break the first nine days or whatever, she has a, a, a great, Thing you read every day, and it's very insightful.
0: And then the Sober Summit just did right? their annual what?
1: Oh, they did. This is the second one, and she did it just as a side one for the yearly. She just started. So the first one was back in right after I quit in March. And I went to that, got to know that whole community. If you'd bought the All Access, they gave you the Annie Grace 30 day thing for free. So that was cool. So I went through that. Been a whole bunch of people through that as well. But it was just, it, it's just one of those things. Everything. The universe shows itself to you when, when you're ready, the teacher appears.
0: <laughs> but you have to invest yourself because if exactly. you don't, if yeah. you don't invest yourself, then you may stay on that hamster wheel.
1: Right. And if I, I can buy as many personal development courses as I want and listen to them, but if I don't apply the principles, that's my loss. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Exactly, and you can get involved with the sober community or you can sign up and go into their community, but if you don't start meeting people and building relationships with other sober individuals, it just makes it so much more difficult. Invest yourself, start meeting people, get sober.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So if somebody was just starting out, what advice would you give them?
1: I would say, first off, get, uh, I am sober or any of the other apps that are out there. There's Sober Buddy. There's there's a whole bunch of different ones, and there's different communities. I Am Sober, though, out of all the ones I've tried, is probably the most open and accepting and helping community that I'd been in on any of the apps. I tried four of them out, but that one, this one was the best. It's got a lot of great tools. Yeah, it's got a lot of things that are quirky about it, but just if you're willing to work, and do your own program for yourself. There's people you can lean into out there that have great knowledge, and you can follow them. And most of them follow you right back. And then you could have a conversation with them on their posts as well. And some people also like to go back and help all the people that are starting out too. So they may have 25 months, they may have three years, but they go back on the day zeros, the day ones, the day threes, and they post things for you saying hey it gets better it just invest in yourself that's what you got to do is just invest in yourself
0: and you built a sober crew yes and i, I think that's important when you get in there because you're going to be on there with other individuals they're going to have the same timeline build yourself a sober clue like you got marlene and, and Jacques.
1: yeah marlene. Your, yeah yeah and uh Jacques didn't want to do the groups but they have the group Area that you can create a group and invite people to it out on so on. I Am so graph. And if you create a group, you can invite up to 25 people to it. If these are people that you talk to all the time, you guys can talk about things off to the public feed and talk about it and just help each other out in the group feed. I got invited to five groups in the last six months. So I'm part of all of them and I help when I can out in those groups. You're like a social
0: butterfly. And <laughs> see... You're building these relationships, yeah. right? Now, the first time around, you weren't building these relationships. No. This time around, you are. And it's changed everything, hasn't it?
1: It's huge, man. It is absolutely huge.
0: Get out there and invest yourself, guys.
1: Yes. Get involved. Definitely. Reach out. Lean in. You always ping me out there, too. If you ever see one of my posts, just say, hey, nice to meet you. Follow me. I'll follow you back you ever have any questions or anything, or you need any sources at all, my IAS name is Firebird Rising Dave. I should put the Dave at the end of it because I want everybody to just know me as Dave. And that is my name, Dave Davis. So Firebird Rising Dave on the IAS app. You can go to my website, davidbrucedavis.com. I will show you all the different creative stuff I do, from video stuff I've worked on, animations to video work I've done for others, photography work that I've done. All my music is out there, not just the radio show stuff that you'll see on the front page, but I actually have a a bunch of CDs. I do a lot of piano, a lot of soundtrack work.
0: And we'll put some of those links up there too.
1: Yeah, and the other piece that that I get too is that I haven't told you about yet that I'm starting to do voiceover work again. And that's fun. I'm with a group called the Carmen Online Theater. And we did a series of horror story uh, radio shows about six years ago and they were really popular (laughs) and the lady who it was based on true stories uh the lady who had who is in charge of this was just featured in the new john carpenter suburban screams show that's on peacock and she's in the fifth episode and so the stuff that we were working on the horror show with is the stuff that John carpenter turned into an episode so it was cool to see that happen wow cool so I play her husband who's a cop yeah you know.
0: so you're doing voiceovers now so all you got sober mm-hmm. and all your creativity is coming back
1: exactly and we just got through doing a recording for a friend of hers for a, a book a science fiction book so we just i uh, that'll be released pretty soon so I'll send you a link to that when I get it Oh, absolutely. Um, well, post more about that on the, on my website too, as well. But yeah, yeah. we're getting back into doing the burbs again. So uh, that's uh, B. Marshall. Marshall is the cop that she's married to. So that's my voice. <laughs> the Chicago style cop, man. So anyway. Uh,
0: that is so cool. And then yeah. we, we're going to have you here on Sober Town talking yes. sober.
1: Yep. Talking sober and we'll do, try and do some different style stuff for myself. I want to talk about people's sobriety stories, but I also want to get more of a connection with people with uh, how they connect to themselves again. That's you know, Yeah. Like and that.
0: see, that's the cool thing. I think so- Sobertown's unique. I don't know anybody else that's doing it. We have a lot of different voices on right. Town, and that way we're able to connect with so many more people.
1: Yeah. I think so too.
0: It's not just Drifter.
1: <laughs> no, it's not just Drifter. <laughs> Dave
0: Davis. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome, buddy.
0: It's been great, my friend.
1: It has been. It really has been.
0: Have an amazing day.
1: You too. Thanks.